Well, good morning. There they go. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'd go to Second Peter, good to see everybody. Hey, George and Peggy, God bless you. Good to see the Engelmans with us. Amen. 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 We're in part two of a message entitled "Making Salvation Sure," making it sure. Amen. You want to be sure. You know, don't don't take it for granted. Don't take it because someone else told you it's right. You better know that you know with signs following. Amen. That you want to have enough um, against you that you could be convicted of being a Christian. Amen. Because some don't have enough evidence. If they were, but we want this. So we're going to begin reading the last two verses of the short letter that Peter wrote, and then we'll get to that first chapter and walk and continue where we left off last time. Peter writes, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever and forever. Amen. Guard and grow. Guard and grow. Now let's begin. Verse 1 from chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life, and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And through these, He has given us great, very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort, be diligent, to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind. He has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you for your holy word. Speak to our hearts. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our King and our Savior. Speak to us, Lord. Give us understanding. Stir our faith towards trust and obedience. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Again, this is part two of a message that we began last week. Making salvation sure. Making salvation sure. And we're taking our, our, our topic, we're taking our subject, our title from verse 10. If I can draw your attention to verse 10 again, where Peter writes, Be all the more eager. Grandfather in the faith now. This is an older gentleman, Peter, the old apostle and spiritual father. And he wants to make sure that those that come to Pleasant Grove Assembly actually make it into heaven. He wants to make sure that those that go to churches where some people are saved, that, that they don't slip through the cracks just thinking they have it, but really not possessing that which is genuine. And so Peter says, be all the more eager and diligent to make your calling, your election, your salvation sure. Make it sure. Because your eternal destiny, my eternal destiny, the condition of our soul is something we want to be sure about. Can you say amen? I mean, if you want to be sure about anything, you want to be sure you're going to heaven. Don't just go because someone said you're going to go. You need to know that you know with the evidence thereof. Let there be no wondering and no hope so of this eternally critical, most critical part of our lives. Don't take any chances. 
But know that you know that you have received Jesus personally and that you are walking and serving Jesus publicly and that the evidence thereof is plain for all to see. Being sure, will we get that word assurance, blessed assurance. The assurance, the sure thing, it's one's confidence that they truly possess eternal life. Peter is teaching and the Word of God is communicating to us that the believer who pursues and who is cultivating these spiritual qualities is demonstrating by their spiritual fruit that indeed he or she is a child of God. Not just merely have you repeated a prayer one day, one time. Not merely do you belong to the right church. Not merely are you a member. But are these qualities, are these evidences clear to see? But that's the proof that men can see. Now, God might see the heart, but Peter's saying, you want to make it sure? Where's the beef? Can you say amen? The genuineness, the truth of their profession being proven or demonstrated by the virtues and the fruit of their life. Now, Peter opens this letter with a description of a healthy child of God, a healthy Christian life. Now, in the next chapter, he is going to deal with false teachers and false teachings. But before he gets to the false, he gives us a beautiful picture of the healthy Christian life. And we broke it down into three parts, and we'll be here two or three more weeks. But number one, the Christian life begins with faith. He called it a like precious faith. The faith you have is the same faith Peter and Paul had. There's no second tier on this thing. There's no first class or second class of salvation you got is the same salvation they had. Amen. The same Holy Spirit you got is the same Holy Spirit they got. So you can expect the same things and walk in the same way. Hallelujah. The Christian life begins with faith. But faith, real faith, genuine faith, results in spiritual growth. And it gives us the virtues that we'll see. Spiritual growth brings practical results. Practical results. So number one, we started last time, the Christian life begins with faith. A like precious faith. A beautiful faith. But we said, number one, this faith is in a person. It's not just faith in faith. Some say, well, everyone believes in something. That's not good enough. You've got to believe in the right thing. It's not just faith in faith, nor is it just faith in a creed or a philosophy. It's not just faith that I went to a first communion or I was baptized, but it's faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. For He alone saves, and His work on the cross alone is sufficient and adequate to forgive men of their sins. There is no other way a human being can be made right before the Almighty God except through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other act that is worthy. There is no other sacrifice that is acceptable. Your good works don't matter. God will throw you into hell if you try to stand before Him and present to Him your good works. The only thing that will get anyone into heaven is that you can say the blood of Jesus has been applied to my life and I put my faith in Him and Him alone for my salvation. And if that be the case, then and only then will you hear the words, Welcome, my good and faithful servant. And it's not just believing those things mentally and agreeing to some kind of Christian creed, but it's receiving this risen Savior personally and walking with Him presently. Salvation involves much more than just knowing facts about Jesus. Many do. Many agree with those facts. Salvation involves much more than just having good feelings about Jesus. I like Him. I accept Him. Salvation comes when by an act of our will, we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. We believe in Him and give our lives to Him and put our faith in what He and He alone has done. So we understand the Christian life begins with faith. It's a beautiful, transforming faith. But this faith is not just faith in a creed or faith in a philosophy or faith in some kind of ritual. It's faith in a person, the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's faith in Christ. But secondly, this faith 
involves God's power. Because once we receive Christ, put our faith in Christ, it makes us a new creature. It makes us a brand new person. It brings the very presence and power and Spirit of God into our lives. And that's where verse 3 comes in. Where where Peter writes, His divine power has given us everything. Once you have this like precious faith and you put your faith in Christ, then His divine power has given us everything we need for this life and for godliness through our knowledge of Him. Alright, faith involves God's power. When we get saved, God imparts His very own Spirit within us to make us His sons and His daughters, to make us new creations. This power involves a transforming power. And an enabling power. He makes His power available to them that believe. The Christian life begins with saving faith. We put our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But then after we receive Him, God puts His power into our lives. And this power is able to produce godliness and victory as we walk with Him. The precious Holy Spirit comes. That's why there's a difference between just trying to follow a form or a pattern or a philosophy that's without, as opposed to receiving a true new birth within. There's a difference between just saying, I I follow this certain moral code. That's not good enough. Salvation in Jesus Christ brings the very life of God within us and makes us sons and daughters of the living God. When a person comes to Christ and is truly born from above, God, God's divine power then supplies them with everything they need to live this life and to live it victoriously. This is what we talk about when we say new birth or born again. This is what the teachers talk about when they talk about being regenerated. This is Paul when he said becoming a new creature in Christ. Again, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And once you have believed in Christ, the very power of God comes into your life to make you a son of God and to enable you to live the life God wants you to live. That's why Paul says once you believed in Him, then all things are passed away. Behold, all things become new because you are now a new creature in Christ as the Spirit of God makes a new man or a new woman out of you. And from that, Paul goes on to describe that it's the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that now dwells within us and it enables us to live this life, to overcome the challenges, to lay aside the sins and the weights that beset us and to demonstrate that we truly are sons and daughters of the risen Christ. A transforming power that makes us new. Oh, what a wonderful change in my life had been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. The power talks about a power that transforms us. Takes an old angry man and makes him gentle and sweet. Takes an old vile woman and makes her pure as pure can be. Oh, that's the new birth. That's the blood and the working of the power of Jesus Christ. A transforming power, but it's also an enabling power to help us live it out. Somebody in the name of Jesus, don't quit and don't give up. You might be here today and you're struggling with your Christian experience. You're getting a little discouraged. You're getting a little weary. I want you to know the devil is a liar and God wants you to make it. God's given you all that you need to make it. You have it. It's within you. If you're born again, Jesus is within you. And if you listen to Him and walk with Him, He'll enable you to overcome what is challenging you, to defeat what's coming against you. Somebody, don't give up, but keep trusting the Lord. Keep believing His promise. Keep walking by faith. The devil is a liar. But God says the work that He began, He's going to complete it in who? In who? In you. Oh my God. So don't give up. You might have had a bad week. Well, it's time to start a new week. Can you say amen? You might have messed up. You yelled at the dog. You kicked the cat. You feel lousy. The devil's on your shoulder saying, see, you're not saved. You're just an old, no, 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 no. Uh, you just made a mistake. Get it under the blood and be reminded today the Bible says all things pertaining to life and godliness has been, has been. You're not waiting for heaven for this one, brother. Has been given to you so you can live it, so you can walk it, so you can talk it in Jesus' name.
Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Mm. Then once we're saved, there's not, a, there's not a fire insurance thing, you see what I mean? Once you're saved, it's saved unto a relationship. So the call goes out, and this is what Peter's getting at. If you're going to be sure, it demands knowing and growing. I can't go back yesterday, last week too much. I can't go back to last week's sermon, but the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God throughout this book, the knowledge of God. We, we tap into this. We move in this through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Knowing and growing. Once salvation comes, then it's time to grow up in it. Jesus, in His amazing grace, has taken the initiative. Salvation is of the Lord. He called us. He died for us. He summoned us. He apprehended us. He wooed us to that bleeding side of Calvary. And if we're here today, chances are it's because we responded to that call. And we put our faith in that sacrifice. But now it's time to go on from faith to faith and glory to glory. Now it's time to do our part and grow, as Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, making it sure. I want to make it sure. First Peter 2, 2 and 3. First Peter 2, 2 and 3. Peter wrote in his first letter. Again, here's, you know, when you're a pastor, evangelists, you know, they enjoy seeing people respond. And we need people to respond. But the pastor is, I want to make sure they get in. But I say a lot of people come to an altar, and if I can get you in a bad enough week, I can get anyone down to an altar. Amen? I mean, you got a bad enough week, you can get someone to come. They'll pray to anything when they're desperate. You know what I mean? Come on, say amen. But, but the pastor, I just want to make sure you make it in. I want to make sure you make it in, because after the altar call is done, i got to see you week after week. i got to see you in between the evangelists coming in to, to call you down to an altar. Peter is, Peter, Peter is um, a shepherd. Shepherd might feed my flock. He's a shepherd. Jesus called him the shepherd of the sheep. And you can see where his heart is. Make sure you're sure. Make sure the evidence is sure. Don't just lean on, Grandma told me I'm saved, or I went to an evangelist in 1970 under a tent. Make sure your life is presently saying, I'm saved. The evidence is here. Sure, sure. So Peter writes this, once I get saved, and I, it's like that crisis experience of salvation. The moment you call on the Lord, man. Saved. Saved. Saved you're going to be. Saved. Saved. Forgiven. Saved. That's it. Saved. No matter what you save. Crisis. But from there, it's a process of growing and maturing and developing. Good that you're saved. But if you read your Bible, that's not where it ends. It's just where it starts. Peter says, you know, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Why? Why? So that you, so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. He didn't say they didn't have salvation. They were saved. He's writing to the saints. He's saying, now that you're saved, grow up in it. Mature in it. A lot like that baby. You know babies, man, when they're hungry, everybody knows about it. Amen? They, they don't care what time it is. They don't care if it's two in the morning. When a baby's hungry, look out. The world's going to know I'm hungry. Somebody feed me. Stick that bottle in my mouth. Put a binky something. But I'm hungry. And Peter says with that same kind of passion and earnest, we ought to have a hunger to grow in the things of God. We should not be a complacent, casual people. But that's the way to be deceived in losing certain things that you don't want to lose and you cherish. Look at that next verse. Now that you have tasted <laughs> that the Lord is good. Peter's saying to the church, listen, if you've tasted the goodness of God, if you know what it is to be able to sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. If you're rejoicing that your sins are gone, now that you've tasted the goodness of the Lord, let's hunger and thirst after God so we can grow stronger in God and mature in our walk with God and make it sure in Jesus' name. So again, the, the Christian life begins with faith. And that faith isn't a person. It's not in a church. It's not in a creed. It's not in a doctrine. Even if those things are correct, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Our faith is in Christ. But that faith, once it's expressed, brings into our lives God's power. It's a power that transforms us, makes us new creatures. It's a power that enables us to live this life and to walk this life and to get up when we not get knocked down. 
to be changed and overcome things and deal with things as Christ would have us to. But thirdly, this faith involves God's promises. Verse 4, verse 4. Notice how through these, through the glory and goodness of God, glory, the, the, the being of God, goodness, the acts of God, okay? Through the glory and goodness of God, through these, He has given us, has. Again, Peter is speaking of present possession. He has given us all things for life in God. He has given us very, I like that, very great and precious promises. Woo! So that through them, we may participate in the divine nature Woo. and escape the corruption of this evil world. Oh, praise the Lord. Not only has God given us all that we need for life and godliness, He also gives us His Word to enable us, to instruct us, and to help us develop this life and this godliness. It's like royal children have to be taught who they are, what they have, how they're expected to act. They have to be taught their duty as well as their privilege and their responsibility as much as their power. And so must spiritual, so must spiritual royalty in the same way. That we're born again and then we're taught through the Word who we are, what God expects and what we have, the privilege when King Edward passed away, they showed a lot of clips of his life in the late early 70s. And um, he was at one time the Duke of Windsor and he abdicated the throne. You know, most of you know the story. And they asked him questions about his upbringing and his brief reign. And um, he recalled as the Prince of Wales how his father, King George V, he says, was quite a strict disciplinarian. And he said, boy, when I would do something wrong, my dad would admonish me. My dear boy, you must always remember who you are. So often I believe our Heavenly Father would speak to His children. You've got to remember who you are. Both in our duty and in our privilege. One of the more funny stories He would tell about that is as a young boy, He used to run. It's, 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 sometimes it's fun to see how the other half lifts. He used to run around the castle all. He'd run around, run around as he's five, six, runner, always hurrying, always rushing. And His, and King, his father would say, Son, stop! Stop rushing everywhere. Stop running everywhere. You are a prince. One day you will be a king. And kings don't run. Kings don't rush. People wait on them. And you know, there's a lot in the book that will teach us our duty and our privilege as children of God. But let's never forget who we are in Jesus Christ. But let's go to the Word of God so we can understand and develop and grow into the one He's chosen us to be. Those that carry out our duty. Those that exercise our privilege. Somebody say amen. amen. The great promises of God, they are revealing and explaining. They are nourishing and inspiring. They are instructing. They are enabling you and I in this abundant life that we have in Christ. Power and privilege require Education, understanding, direction, motivation. And those things come to us through the very great and precious promises of God. Those are things that usher us into a much greater dimension of knowing personally and intimately and experientially the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation He's given us. Verse 4 says how these promises allow us to, number one, participate in the divine nature. Through understanding and believing and responding to the promises of God. We, we participate and we partake and we appreciate the divine nature. But they also help us to escape the pull and the corruption of the fallen world and the fallen nature. Through the promises of God and understanding this great salvation, what it entails and what God desires and what God has granted through the blood of Jesus Christ, it helps you and I on one hand to participate and appropriate and lay hold of the beautiful promises and the good things of God, but also to escape and overcome the old nature and the fallen world. Now these promises are great because they come from a great God and they lead to a great life. They're precious. They're valuable because their value is beyond cal calculation. 
It begins with salvation. It goes so much more. Who could put a price on the precious promises of God? When we think about things of life in eternity and we begin to put a value, who could put a price on the great promises of salvation that God so loved the world? Here's one. Can you have you heard a better promise? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. What a precious promise that though I was lost and undone, I was a mess and a half, whosoever means me, whosoever believes in Him, I don't have to perish. I don't have to die in my sin. I can know forgiveness. I can know eternal life. These are the great and precious promises of God. They're beyond calculation. Their value is greater than riches or gold. Oh, glory be to God. Their promises for the present. Their promises towards the future. Their promises that help us live in this present hour. Oh, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, what a promise. Come to Jesus and the rest from the sorrow the rest from the bruises, the rest from the battles of this world can be no more. Come under His yoke and receive His grace. That thing doesn't have to weigh you down. That thing doesn't have to afflict you forever. Peace and rest comes through a great promise from the Savior Himself. My Lord, He's got a promise for today. He's got a promise for tomorrow. They're great and precious promises. We need to know them. We need to receive them. We need to allow them to encourage us and strengthen us. Let not your heart be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. But I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I shall return. And when I return, I'll take you to myself. You'll be with me forever. You'll be with me forever. Have you ever heard a greater promise? Have you ever heard a greater precious promise? The promises of God that make us strong. The promises of God that make us whole. The promises of God that stir our faith. His promise gives me hope. His promise gives me strength. His promise gives me peace. They're great and they're precious. Receive them. Embrace them. Hide them in your heart. Speak them with your mouth. Walk in confidence. Blessed be His name. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Great and precious. Very great. Very great. Very great. Woo! They're not just great, they're very great. Woo! I didn't do too good in English, but I know very great is really good. Amen. Very great. Precious. Precious. Valuable. Beyond price. Who can put a price on that? Man, we believe the words of man and they run out on us. We believe the words of man and they take our money and leave us broke. I dare you to believe the promise of God. I double dare you. Stop believing the lie of the devil. Stop believing your own fears. Stop believing your own guilt and condemnation. Get a hold of the Word of God. Believe it. Expect it. Stand on it. Woo! Hallelujah. Sink or swim. Gonna believe that book. Let God be true in every man a liar. This faith involves Peter saying, I'm gonna explain to you how your faith works. Because if all he did is he came and he taught a little prayer one day and never grew up, that's why you struggle so much with your Christian experience. Amen? You got the first base. There's some more bases to go. This faith, it's in a person. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because He first loved me. It's in in a person. Do you know Jesus personally? Do you walk with Him every day? Do you talk with Him? Can you weep in His presence? Can you tell Him things you can tell no one else? Oh, do you know just how talk in the car, talking to Jesus. Amen. Up and down the aisles, talking to Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. It's in a person. But it brings God's power into your life. The power of God. That's why you can live this life. You can't live it because if your willpower, your willpower is not good enough. Either is mine. But God puts his own spirit within us. That's why Paul says, it's no longer I, Galatians 2 and 20, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. You see, His power comes with Him. i got to work with God. There's a cooperation going here, but salvation is of the Lord. Power and the promises, the promises, the great and precious promises. You find out what princes and what kings 
can enjoy when you read the book. You find out what a great salvation this really is when you read the book. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, bless His name. Isn't God good? Peter starts his letter by saying that every Christian has been given everything. I like that. Everything necessary for life in God. Not, not most things. But first three says all things. All things. And then he, then he goes on. Then he goes on. And, and, all, and the all things are found. He shows us that the all things are going to be disclosed and revealed in the precious, very great and precious promises of God and His Word. Verse 4. The blessings of God are His gifts to us. But it's up to us to appropriate them. And that leads us to Roman numeral 2. Faith results, this great faith, results in spiritual growth. Let's read verses 5-7 through seven again. Let's just read verses 5 through seven again, but there's our second part. We finally got to Roman numeral two. Took us a service and a half, but we got there. Now, for this reason, because of that great salvation, because of those promises, amen. For this reason, make every effort. Ah, salvation of the Lord, but it still requires my, my effort here to walk it out, to walk it out, not to rec- walk it out. For this reason, be diligent. Make every effort to add to your faith. And we're going to start. We'll get on one of these today. And next time we'll cover the rest, Lord willing. But these are, these are virtues. These are characteristics and attributes that the Holy Spirit is highlighting. Saying these are the things that ought to be the goals in our life. These are things we ought to be working on with the Word and the Spirit to develop in our life. Because these things are fruit of a child of God. These things. What things? Well, add to your faith goodness. To goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Roman numeral two, faith results in spiritual growth. When something's alive, it's going to grow. Verse five begins for this very reason. Because of all that God has given us. For all that God, because of all that God has granted to us through Jesus Christ. The believer cannot, he just must not, be indifferent or self-satisfied. But he should be motivated to grow and to know this great God, to enjoy this great salvation, to please the Lord. Because of the new birth and the promises that come with it, Christians participate. Verse 4 told us, Christians participate in the divine nature. But, 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 what Peter is trying to really um, thrust at us Stressing to us in this letter, he's trying to communicate that, remember, our title is making it sure. The new birth, yes, we're born again. But the new birth doesn't rule out human effort and activity as we grow in this grace and knowledge. And here Peter is urgently calling for um, active Christianity. To, to the work with it, the grace that saves me, enables me, but it also calls me forward to grow in the grace and knowledge. To mature in this great salvation. To develop these characteristics that the seed of the Spirit has placed within me. What Peter is saying to the young believers is that we are responsible for our growth and maturity and fruitfulness in the Lord. We're responsible. Now sometimes make every effort. Words like effort bother some. They, 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 you know, that sounds exhausting. It sounds... One person who didn't like the word effort, specifically in the area of exercise, they said one time, I don't exercise at all. If God meant for us to touch our toes, He would have put them further up upon our body. (laughs) Some people are like that with their spiritual life. Amen. That's why they don't grow. But you got to do your part. Remember, it's a partnership. It's a cooperation between us and God. Now, let's, let's, look at, let's look at a couple of verses that show us the partnership and participation of God's grace in the believer's effort. Because we want to make it sure. The goal here is make your calling and election sure. How do we do that? Well, I'm going to grow in these areas. 
I'm going to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. I'm going to mature in my relationship. I'm going to develop these attributes that, that show the work of God in me. And if we look at the Scripture, we will see that there is a partnership and a participation between God's grace and the believer's effort. 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. We're going to notice that the grace of God in Paul's life called him on, stirred him on, ushered him on. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. It wasn't in vain. It wasn't useless. Some of your translations. No, 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 no. Paul said, the grace of God came to me. But God's grace is not just a dormant thing. God's grace isn't just a, you know, get out of jail free card. God's grace is an active working of God's Spirit that does something in me. There's a saving grace, but then there's a sanctifying grace and a serving grace. There's a grace that comes to me and a grace that works in me and a grace that flows from me. So by the grace of God, yes, I am what I am. But His grace was not without effect in my life. His grace did something in me. What did it do? Well, number one, Paul says, I had to do my part. I worked harder than the others. Yet not I. Here's this thing. Paul says, I'm working, yet not I. See, there's this thing going on here, and it's a cooperation and a partnership between the believer and the Spirit of God, the grace of God. He says, no, I worked. Paul said, I worked. Harder than all, but yet it wasn't really me. It was the grace of God within me. And again, we see in our lives that grace comes and saves us. Amazing grace, I'll sweep this out. But that grace then does not just lay dormant within us. It calls us unto godliness. It calls us unto maturity. It stirs us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's very similar to what Paul wrote in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And again, we see the partnership here. We see these two things going on here. Paul writes, My, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out, not work for. You already got that. That came through grace through faith. Not work for salvation. Once you got salvation, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a call for us to do our part, to grow in grace. But here it is. For it is God, now here's God's part, who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. And you see this, there's a cooperation that goes on between the believer and the grace of God if there's going to be maturing and advancing in the things of God. Spiritual growth is progressive. It's a partnership. It demands cooperation. It demands effort on our part. Faith results in spiritual growth. And Peter says, therefore, make every effort. If you want God's best, it's going to demand something of you to, to go after God and to give yourself to God. Where there is life, there must be growth. The new birth, as we said, is not the end. It's, it's just the beginning. And God does give to us all that we need to live godly lives, but we must apply ourselves and be diligent to use the means He's provided. Take advantage of the resources at your disposal to grow in your Christian experience, to mature in your walk, and to become the one God's called you to be. Take an inventory. And examine the things that God has given you so that you can grow. Things like the privilege of prayer. Take advantage of it. You can draw near to the Almighty God anytime you want. The throne of grace is open. Talk to God. Spend time in His presence. How can you grow when you don't talk? The treasure of the Word. God's given you a book. You don't got to wonder what God thinks. He's given you a book. You can read it. You don't got to scratch your head and come up with some weird revelation. You can open up the book and read it. What a wonderful thing that the Almighty God has given us a book so we can know His ways, what pleases Him. We can understand our salvation and how to walk in it. Take advantage of the book. Practice the book. Feed on the book. Educate yourself according to the book. It'll help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then how about the church? What an opportunity we have. That we are not alone in this Christian experience. That we're part of the family of God. And we can encourage one another. And we can glean from one another. Because one has this gift and one has that gift. And one has that anointing and one has that. And I don't want to ostracize myself from the family. I want to join the family and take advantage of the blessing of the family of God. Because it helps me to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of my King. How about service? The privilege to serve gives me an opportunity to exercise my gifts and grow my gifts. You know, we get nervous when sometimes some of our... uh, 
our people, especially the older ones, when they're in the hospital too long, but if they're in their bed too long, their muscles stop working. You know that, isn't it right? And some of them, oh, oh, they've been in the hospital here, they've got to go to the rehab. Why? Because, oh, I thought you said they were better. They are, but their legs don't work like they used to because they've been laying down too long. Something happens when you don't exercise. And when you don't exercise spiritual gifts, there's something that, that happens in your spiritual life. But when you exercise spiritual gifts, it brings a maturity. It brings a, a, a strength. It brings an increase. Take advantage of the resource you have of using your gifts and serving the Lord. That's another way we grow in the grace and knowledge of our God. Enjoy the fellowship of the family. Enjoy the praise of the Savior. Peter is reminding us again, spiritual growth is not automatic. It requires cooperation and application. Cooperation with God and the application of the spiritual diligence and discipline. And he says, add to your faith. For this reason, add to your faith. And the word add is a beautiful, it means make rich provision for it. Don't skimp on it. Be generous in your effort to grow in God. Be generous and serious and intentional in your effort to get to know Jesus better, to mature in your Christian experience, to grow in the graces of God. And then Peter gives us seven goals, priorities, targets that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write for our diligent faith. All this is built on faith. But if we're going to make sure Make that calling election sure. One of the ways we're going to do this is by pursuing righteousness, pursuing Christ's likeness, and seeing these graces bloom in our lives. Now, we're just going to cover one very quick, and then we'll call it. But the very first one that God wants all of us to work on is goodness. Add to your faith goodness. Goodness or virtue, some of your translations. It speaks of moral excellence, moral courage and consistency regardless of culture, setting, or circumstance. In the Greek, this, this word was not used a lot in the Scripture, used a little bit. It was used a lot in Greek culture, and it spoke of excellence of achievement in a specific field. It spoke of someone that had mastered something in a field. In this case, it's the field of morality, moral excellence. Peter says, add to your faith a moral excellence. Christians ought to be a morally excellent people. That's why we stand out so much from the world. Light and salt. Because we're so unlike the world that is in darkness. Moral excellence or moral goodness, the characteristic that does the right thing regardless of the obstacles and oppositions. You see, virtue carries with it the idea of moral courage and moral strength which leads to moral consistency. Moral consistency. Regardless of which way the cultural wind is blowing, the Christian allows the Word of God and the Spirit of God to guide our choices, our values, our lifestyle, and our behavior. It doesn't matter which way the culture sways. It doesn't matter which way the majority is going or what's popular in this present world. But for the child of God, they strive to walk in moral excellence and goodness, which means a consistent and courageous morality based upon the Word of God that is not tainted, it is not manipulated by circumstance or situation. Not everyone is like that. Can you say amen? I read about someone that wasn't like that. Wife asked her husband, why don't you play golf with Ted anymore? The man replied, hmm, would you play golf with a man who constantly moved the golf ball with his foot every time you weren't looking? Wife said, no, I wouldn't. And her husband said, well, neither does Ted. (laughs) Neither does Ted. Now, Moral excellence, you see that word consistency, we're the same on the golf course as we are at home, same in the factory as we are in the sanctuary, same in public as you are in private. You you know, you know, they like to say, when in Rome, but I'll tell you what, child of God, when in Rome, do what Jesus would do. If you're a Christian, when in Rome, going to do what Jesus would do. 
this moral goodness, there is a courage and a consistency in our morality. You know, the world, that politician sell his soul for a vote. You know that. A lot of them were anti-abortion when they were in their 30s, and they knew if they stayed in that political party, they had to murder babies to get a vote, and they sold their soul for that. Gore and Clinton, that whole group. You know that if you study any of that. If you read any, any, just a little bit, it don't take a lot to research to, to, to know. Oh, yeah, that's not moral goodness, you see. That's moral convenience, you see. But God's calling the people that are morally courageous and consistent, regardless of the circumstances or the situations. Mm, mm, mm. New Testament example would have to be John the Baptist. Jesus said to a group that, talking about John, what do you go out to see? A reed that is swaying in the wind? You think John was the type of man that he would bend and sway every time the wind of cultural, religious acceptance changed? Oh, no. Jesus said John was a firm, steady man, consistent in character. And you know it cost him his life, but Jesus called him the greatest of the prophets, and I'd rather have that. In the Old Testament, we have that Joseph. Oh, what a story of Joseph. Godly and consistent in character. Far away from home, he was lied about, cheated, sold by his own brothers. In the face of terrible rejection, temptation, he looks at the temptress and says, How could I do such a wicked thing as sin against God? A million miles in a foreign land, far away from everybody. Most people would have been bitter at God, angry at God. But not him. He had a God consciousness. He was consistent. He was courageous in his character. And you know the story. He left his coat, but praise God, he kept his character. And he gave you and I a great example of how to be in this world, but not be part of that world. Live in here and not be part of it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Goodness, goodness. Peter is calling us. The Word of God is calling everyone that hears me. Make your calling and election sure. How do I do that? Peter is saying, here's how I want this. Make every effort to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and pursue these characteristics in sincerity and in consistency. Goodness. We should be a very virtuous, morally upright people regardless of culture, setting, or circumstance. A moral strength, a moral courage, a moral consistency based upon the Word of God. Making our calling and election sure. God calls you and I to be diligent and eager in our pursuit of spiritual growth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to have our final prayer and sing our final song and we'll open the altar. If you're here today and for any reason things aren't right between you and God, don't leave without making it right. Come down to the altar. If you haven't received Christ, receive Christ. If you've been drifting away and just playing games, come and make a fresh commitment. If you're here today and you need prayer, maybe you got a bad report from the doctor and you need someone to pray with you and believe God for healing, we would love to pray with you and believe God to touch your life. Or you just might have a need. Whatever that might be. We open the altar so we can pray one for another. We open the altar so you can take some time if you just want to talk with the Lord. Maybe God's been speaking to your heart. And you can seal some things. So if you would stand with me, please, as we say our final prayer and we sing our final song and we open the altar. But God is calling each one of us to make the effort to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, to develop the spiritual virtues that He has highlighted in the Scripture. Hallelujah. We pray, Father, we thank You for the great salvation that You have given us through Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we were stirred up today to pursue spiritual growth. To pursue it, Lord. We pursue so many things that are temporal, that are unnecessary. And maybe some of them, it's alright in their context, but oh God, Stir our hearts to pursue You. To pursue a closer walk with Thee.
to pursue a greater transformation into your image. Father, stir us to active and obedient faith. To an effort and obedience. Let it never be said, O God, that they were a casual and complacent people concerning their salvation. But instead, Father, help us to make the sincere effort to grow in the grace and knowledge of our King and to add to our faith those chosen virtues making it sure and making it clear. Father, I pray for anyone that's here this morning that needs to stop messing around. Get serious about their salvation. About being disciplined and devoted in their spiritual walk. Though we can pursue things that appease the natural, sometimes we struggle with the pursuit and the discipline that comes with the spiritual thing. But Jesus, you are the one that said, what is the profit of man? Gain the world. But lose the most precious of things. So Father, I pray that you would touch all of our hearts today. Not in a condemning way, but in a fatherly exhorting Like a parent that looks at their child and says, Child, I love you, but it's time to grow up in some things. It's time to mature in some areas. Father, stir our hearts. Give us a fresh hunger and thirst to walk close to you, to grow and mature in you. And to carry out your will for our lives. Let it never be said of us, O God. They were careless and casual towards the great salvation that was given them. O God, touch our hearts. O God, breathe fresh life into our being. I pray for the weary that as they look to you and pour out their hearts. You'll fill them afresh. You'll fill them to overflowing. I pray to those that are just struggling, that, Lord, they'll just make a fresh surrender. And in that surrender, they'll receive your great rest and peace so they can rise up and walk on, knowing the victories in the hand of their God. Now, Father, breathe your breath of life upon us. Bless this time at the altar. Stretch forth your hand, O God. Heal the hurting. Refresh the weary. Satisfy the hungry and the thirsty. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, The altar is open. Come, come. If you need to come, if not, let's worship the Lord. In Jesus' name.